Hi there, Dave here. Welcome if you're joining us after our live Sunday meeting. Hope you've had a great time. Or if you're catching up later or listening to the podcast, it's brilliant to have you join us. I'm really excited that we're going to be working our way through the book of Acts. Times change, but the blueprint that God has given us to build thriving communities of believers is the same. And we need to work out what that means for us in our generation but the foundation is always the same. And it really feels like we're gonna be having a brilliant opportunity to go back to the foundations of who we're called to be as church. You know, there's a lot of great things that churches are doing all around the world. There's lots of things that we can emulate, things that we can copy, which is absolutely brilliant. But what we wanna do is really go back to scripture and see the building blocks that God put in place and seek to make sure that they're all fully in place in our church and I think that's going to be a great adventure that we go on together. We've got a passage today that feels a little bit like an in-between moment. Something really big has just happened, something really big is about to happen and now we're sort of in the middle kind of twiddling our thumbs a bit. Actually the reality is very different as you can imagine. This isn't just a few paragraphs of filler before the main event, this is God doing really important stuff to prepare his people for what's going to happen. We've had the resurrection, then 40 days pass, and Jesus ascends, which we heard all about last week. And now before Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit will be poured out, there's another 10 days. 10 long, important days. A time to process some really exciting and yet also traumatic events. It's interesting that waiting in God is often linked to processing big changes or big experiences that we go through. They've been told to stay in the city, but the city was dangerous. They could face huge opposition. The same people who killed their leader are in this city and they probably want to kill them too. After the ascension happened, I wonder at that point as well, do they feel a little bit bereft? Jesus died, he rose again, and now he's gone again. They've seen him go to glory, but now they're on their own again. Well, we're waiting for something. That's what we're doing. Uh, what was it he said we'd wait for again? How long did he say it was going to be? During this time of waiting, we see four clear elements that would really define this age of the mission of the church. We've heard already about the call from Jesus to be his witnesses. And then the ascension of Jesus to heaven to direct this mission. Today, we're going to be looking at the centrality of the apostles in the task, their role in it, and then the coming of the Holy Spirit to empower them to do what God is calling them to do. And it's a fusion of those four things, the call, the leading of Jesus, the gathering of leaders and the power of the Spirit together that kickstart the church. So often people jump into it and say like, oh, and then the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and the church began. But actually, you take a step back, you can see the several different factors coming into play, making them ready building strong foundations. One slight risk with today's passage is that in some ways it feels a little bit dull. You know, last week Jesus is going up to heaven in glory. Next week the Holy Spirit is coming back down from heaven. And in the middle, the disciples are having a prayer meeting and then playing a game of eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Now, obviously that's deliberately being a little bit cheeky, but how often does this passage get overlooked or skimmed over because we're concentrating on the fireworks? But we're not going to do that today because we're going to read Acts chapter 1 and from verse 12. Matthias chosen to replace Judas. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. 
a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So they return uh, to Jerusalem, using up the short walk that they're allowed on the Sabbath. It looks like this is the group of 120 or so that we've read about uh, in verse 15. This is a big room. Often the upstairs room was uh, built for entertaining and, uh, and gathering. When John Calvin read this passage and studied it, he sees two essential aspects of prayer going on here. That they were persistent and they were united. We often skip forward to the room shaking and the tongues of fire, but I just want to pause at this stage. It feels like there's a peace about this moment. There's a a waiting, a worshipping, praying, being together. We're not told of the mood or the, the theme of their prayer. Was it loud or was it quiet? Was it something in the middle? Were they excited? Were they fearful? We're not really sure. What we do know, though, is that it was constant and they were together. To me, this shows quite a lot of obedience, to be honest. How many of us would wait in a room for 10 days? For the Holy Spirit? Big question, isn't it? I mean, we can get a little bit twitchy if it doesn't feel like something's happening after about the fourth song. Now that's clearly being a bit cheeky again. And we can anticipate that the Holy Spirit will come and will move. But what about them? Waiting. Day after day. There are some serious people of faith in this room. The twelve, well, now the eleven, who've seen and heard so much about Jesus. There's the wider band of disciples. There's the group of women who were with Jesus. And then to cap it all off with special place at the proceedings is Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brother. So this is like a who's who of people who knew Jesus the best, waiting, praying, together. This word that Luke uses to mean together, he also uses to describe a united decision where everyone agrees. Everyone agrees in prayer. Amen. We agree. This togetherness doesn't seem to be linked to being in the same place, although that helps. And it's not linked to praying at the same time, although that also helps. But the togetherness that they're talking about is of being one mind, of agreeing, of, of seeking the same thing. Could they have got the same effect if they'd had this prayer meeting over Zoom? That's a big question. Probably. They were constantly praying, and this word constantly means busy. They were busy praying, their time was filled praying. Many of us have experienced a deeper sense of call to prayer during this time. In the day of trouble, we seek God. Lots of the things that have filled our time are not available anymore. Personally, I've been really provoked by God to go on something of a journey with him in this whole area, and uh, I really felt him speak to me about doing something that I've never done before. Uh, and so I've been um, following a daily pattern of prayer that's come out of a monastic community uh, up in Northumbria, praying a prepared series of declarations and scriptures in the morning, lunchtime and evening to give my day-to-day -day life like a rhythm of prayer, a structure of prayer around what I'm doing. 
Now, reading and following written prayers is not my background at all, and I'm not sure I'll do it forever, but there's been something about this kind of like commitment to finding a new flow in prayer that's really opened a new door in my devotional life. I found it really rich in experience and meaning. Another observation here, they were praying even though the spirit was already promised. They didn't just not bother because, well, he's promised the spirit is going to happen anyway. Actually, it feels like the promises that Jesus has made them causes them to pray all the more. Now, next up, we've got uh, some of my favourite verses in all of the Bible. Not for the meaning, to be honest, because to be honest, I, I find a bit of this story a bit odd, really. But this is the one and only time that Matthias gets a mention. Now, as a fellow Matthias, and indeed, may I add, a Matthias with two T's, not one of the one T Matthias imposters that you get somewhere. No, Matthias with two T's, or indeed the biblical Matthias, as, uh, as I prefer to call it. I've always uh, been really warmed by, uh, by what happens next. But actually, we do have to leave all joking aside because this is, a, this is a really sad day in the life of the church and in the life of the people as they need to replace Judas because the most dreadful of dreadful things has happened. So we're going to pick up the narrative again from verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language Akeldama, that is the field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take the place of his leadership. Therefore it's necessary to choose one of the men who've been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias, then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. So before Pentecost, we've got the commission to witness, the ascension of Jesus, the persistent prayer, and now we've got the replacement of Judas. It's needed because Judas has now died. And Luke is really outspoken in calling his betrayal wickedness because that's what it was. And it's a grim story and in many ways I don't want to dwell on it really. It's just sad and it's there to show just the sadness of the whole thing as he turned away from Jesus. The implications of it, it's just sad and it's there to show the whole story. But what they're doing now is a fulfilment of scriptures from many hundreds of years ago, as Peter stands up and explains, just like in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, the Old Testament had predicted what would happen. Now it gives a guide for what happens next. So Peter quotes from Psalm 69 and 109, and they illuminate both what happened and what they should do about it. There's also a basic maths question to fix. 
Because in Luke 22, he draws a parallel between the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes of Israel. So if this new group is to be taken seriously, then at 11 apostles, they're one person down and it needs fixing. And the importance of the 12 is vital to this passage and the whole, the whole meaning of this as the church is birthed. The, the church always saw the 12 as the foundation. In fact, in Revelation, the names of the 12 are written on the gates of the New Jerusalem. That means that Matthias' name is written there. Now, there were people who were added onto the 12 as apostles of the resurrection, Paul, certainly, and, and Barnabas and James, and maybe a couple more. Uh, but in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul describes himself as the last, as in chronologically, and the least because of his unworthiness in human terms. He saw himself at the end of this list of apostles. So all of this points to the 12, the original 12, with Matthias joining them as the absolute foundation of the church. The 12 is now complete again, looking back, 12 tribes of Israel, looking forward, 12 names on the New Jerusalem, and now 12 apostles restored and ready. Peter's got a clear view of what an apostle is from verse 21. It's necessary to choose one of the men who've been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. So these apostles are going to continue to bear witness to the fact Jesus rose again. They need to pick someone who actually saw it themselves, preferably someone who's been there pretty well from the beginning. Matthias has been there all the way through. The early church historian Eusebius said that according to, according to tradition, Matthias had been one of the 70 in Luke 10. Now we can't prove this from the Bible, but it's fascinating and it, it indicates that he was involved in Jesus' ministry in his lifetime, right the way through. He was a, he was a witness of the resurrection himself. But I want to take that on board and just reflect on that for a minute because up until this point, none of us would have ever heard about Matthias. In fact, both of these men have been there right the way through, completely part of what's going on, known to everybody, held in high regard, seen almost all of it, vastly experienced, an integral part of this community of believers, and yet unknown to us. Now in these verses, Peter assumes a level of leadership responsibility that he's called to and he ensures that the foundations of the community and the leadership are secure and that's great he's doing what he's been called to but there's still another hundred or so that we don't know the names of faithful witnesses to the Lord Jesus part of the body Terry made this point really well recently uh, in the Philippians series looking at the importance of people behind the scenes serving praying giving and Matthias gets plucked out of nowhere almost from our perspective to join the 12 and then you never hear him ab about him again in the narrative. This is his moment in the limelight but actually I think that Matthias represents the vast majority of believers in history. The ones who go their whole life without no one really having heard their name or, or being written about much. But having this body of faithful witnesses means that when Peter does stand up and declare the glory of the risen Jesus at Pentecost, he's got a small army of witnesses behind him to back him up, as well as the power of the Holy Spirit. 
There's power in the body. It's not just about the leadership. It's about all of them. And into that, Peter does make sure that the leadership is straightened out and they're not stuck with 11, but they do have 12. They're doing it quite literally by the book. And that is important. They choose two good candidates and they pray, Lord, would you guide us? And then they cast lots. Was it really the game of eeny, meeny, miny, mo that I was that I mentioned earlier in such a flippant way? Well, no, not really. This was actually a really well thought out decision. Firstly, they were led by scripture that said a replacement should be made. Next up, they used their common sense that if someone was going to replace Judas, they needed to have the same qualifications that he had. They couldn't just knock on the door for Barry at number 57 and ask if he wanted to join the gang. They needed someone who was going to be the real deal. And then they prayed, Lord, we've read your word. We've used our wisdom. Now would you please show us? Scripture Wisdom and prayer are enough for us to find the leading of God in our situations. I wonder if there's a situation that you're facing where you're really wanting God to speak to you about what to do. Scripture, wisdom and prayer is how we find the leading of God. Esther and I have been facing a, uh, a huge life choice recently that many of you know about and in many ways, I really wish like an angel had appeared at the end of the bed and just told us what to do. You know, Gabriel in the middle of the night giving a word of instruction. That would have been really clear. I would have taken that. But that is a rare event. But the truth is that we've experienced a sense of the call of God from Scripture. We've been on a journey with God in it. We've sought the counsel of godly people. And we've prayed and it, it feels like God's opened one very specific door to us. So we're walking through it and we're seeing where it leads. Back to our passage and the stage is set for Pentecost. They've heard their commission. They've seen the ascension. They've made their own team ready. The place left by Judas is filled with Matthias, but the place left vacant by Jesus is not yet filled by the Holy Spirit. So guess what's going to happen next? I can't wait. Can you feel the anticipation? After reading this whole passage, I consider our church family a sense of being stirred in faith about what God will do in the future. Now has been a time of waiting, really. It's been about sitting tight almost, staying and, and praying. Looking back at this passage, I wonder I imagine if on day nine, some of them had just given up and gone home. How long are we going to wait for? I want us to look forward to the future with a real sense of anticipation of what God will do. I don't mean some sentimental longing for the old ways of doing things or anything like that. It might be a long time before things are normal again. Even then, will they ever really be the same? Well, we're not quite sure. But in these days of waiting, God has been and will be doing things in us to prepare us for his purposes in the future. As individuals and as a body together. What's happened to us this year is it's, it's just too big. It's too incredible. In human terms, it's too unlucky for it to just be a little hurdle for us to overcome. Two floods and a global pandemic in six weeks. Lord, we are in your hands. 
God is using these circumstances to shape us, to teach us, and to bless us as a church. He's making us ready for what's to come. He's asking us to wait on him and to wait for him. Jesus called them to be his witnesses. He called them to prayer. He asked them to wait for him and he sent his Holy Spirit to empower them. That was the foundation for the church and nothing has changed. That's what we're going to do. And of course, we then need to work out exactly what that means for us and how do we work that out as a church and what does it mean for the way that we gather and what does it mean for our buildings and our resources and all those sorts of questions. But the underlying foundation is the same. We wait for God and we follow the Spirit as he moves. Those four elements remain completely vital. This time of waiting, if you like, before we can get going again, this isn't just the filler. Don't wish this time away until something better happens. This is a really precious part of the journey where we can reach into the deep things of God, remain faithful, remain obedient and make ourselves ready individually and together for whatever God has got in store. My prayer is that each of us has a sense of expectation rising. Lord, prepare us for what you have in store. Jesus, like those first believers, it's your gospel that we witness to, that you died, that you rose again, that you ascended to heaven and you're seated on high. Nothing's changed, Jesus. That's our message. That's our gospel. That is our good news. And Lord Jesus, it's your spirit who does the work. Would you pour out your spirit? We're here, Lord. We're waiting. We've known you in the past. We know you're with us now. And we know you're going ahead of us into the future. And we are willing to wait and respond to you as you move. And it's interesting, you know, because this band of 120 witnesses changed the entire world. And that fills me with hope, really, because here in Shrewsbury and in the surrounding towns and villages, we've got a, a band of, of men and women, people who have witnessed Christ and been transformed by him devoted to prayer, devoted to worship, waiting patiently. We represent the faithful, the witnesses, the Matthiases of this world. I say that from a biblical sense, of course, I'm not claiming any personal benefit from that, but you take my point. People like you and me get weaved into this story in the same way that Matthias was. It's not just about Peter and Paul, it's about the rest of us, because God moves. And we all get caught up into this wonderful expression of the kingdom of God that's called the church. And that's well worth waiting for. That's where, that's where God has us now, waiting. Making us ready for the future that he has. And next week we're going to hear all about the Holy Spirit being poured out. And that changes everything. Because it's not about programs and strategies it's it's not about those things all they do is support what happens in church life but what really matters is that when god moves we're ready well god is moving and he's going to move in even greater measure there's massive changes happening in our country there's huge economic difficulty coming who knows what's going to happen 
with coronavirus and a second spike and all that kind of stuff. But God is going ahead of us and we wait patiently for him to pour out his spirit and where the wind blows, that's where we're going to follow. I'd love to pray now. Father, I want to thank you that the foundations, the building blocks of church life are exactly the same as they've always been. But Lord, we recognise each generation, each uh, group of people, each culture need to work out what it means for them and how they're going to put it into practice. Father, my prayer for us as a church, for us as individuals, for us as a leadership team, Lord, would you help us to be brave, to be bold, to hear your voice in power, to wait patiently, and then as your Holy Spirit moves, would you give us the, the grace, Lord, that we can enter into your purposes in our generation, that many may come to know the risen Lord Jesus like we have. Lord, that's what happened in those early days. And we pray for this time. We pray for this region. And we say, Lord, would you let it happen again? Not by the, the, the works of man or the smart planning or, the, or, or anything like that, but because your Holy Spirit has moved once again, first in the life of, lives of believers and then in the lives of those around it. Would you bring it to being? Once again, in our generation, we pray. Amen.